welcome to Exploring the Marketplace podcast. My co-host is Bob Hassan, and we are creating a conversation with Christian marketplace leaders who have careers that have been impacted by their faith. We are also answering your questions about entrepreneurship, business leadership, careers, and how the kingdom of God changes your impact in the marketplace. Come join the conversation now. Welcome to Exploring the Marketplace. I'm Bob Hassan with my co-host, Sean Bowles. Sean, how are you today? I'm good. How are you doing, Bob? I'm doing fantastic. Who do we have on today? We have Dr. Wayne Grudem, and many of you have heard of Dr. Wayne Grudem or your pastors have because he is actually the best-selling author of the top theological materials in the world is systematic theology. And I had to take it in Bible college. And I'm sure many of you had too as well, or you've heard of it. Wayne Grudem is distinguished research professor of theology and biblical studies at Phoenix Seminary in Phoenix, Arizona. And he received his BA from Harvard University, an MDiv and a DD from Westminster Seminary, Philadelphia, and his PhD in New Testament from the University of Cambridge, England. So no big deal. Yeah. <laughs> he has published over 25 books, including systematic theology, Business for the Glory of God and Recovering Biblical Manhood and Womanhood, and which was credited by John Piper, who I love as well. He was also general editor for ESV Study Bible, which is one of the ones we use a lot in our own materials and our own teaching. His two newest books are Christian Ethics and Systematic Theology Number 2, the second edition. He is past president of Evangelical Theological Society, a co-founder and past president of Council of Biblical Manhood and Womanhood, and a member of the Translating Oversight Committee the English Standard Version of the Bible. He and his wife, Margaret, have been married since 1969 and have three adult sons. I mean, this this is somebody who has left a legacy already mm -hmm. and has left a fingerprint or a footprint all over the nations for good theology. And he's also been very entrepreneurial, Bob. So I'm excited to see how we can look into how he did his career, not just as a traditional pastor, but actually went after some things on a global level and saw the fruit of it. So amazing. Up next, Dr. Wayne Grudem. Bob, you and I are passionate about people in the marketplace being equipped to hear God's voice. And so we put together a book. Tell us about it. It's called Wired to Hear. And 99% of us are out in the marketplace. We're not in the professional vocational ministry. And this book is for you if you want to learn how to hear God in the marketplace. And it's very practical, but it's also very in-depth and spiritual with actionable steps. Great chapters about defining your process when you're trying to hear God's voice. And I just think with the expertise of my coaching and Bob's long-term career and advice giving, you're going to feel the both of us together, something synergized that's really beautiful. And it's just for you. Get wired to here at bullsministries.com. And you're also going to get a free teaching series only available if you buy it from us at bullsministries.com with business leaders, just like you who are sharing their process of hearing God's voice, how they are wired to hear. And it's going to so help you as Bob and I navigate these conversations. They're going to bring the book home into your everyday practice. Get your book today. Well, welcome back. We're here with Dr. Gruden. I'm so glad you're here, Dr. Gruden. This is such a privilege to interview you. And a lot of people would know you, of course, because of systematic theology. And I know we just did the bio, but I was impacted because that was a class I had to take in college and it affected my whole biblical worldview. So thank you so much for doing that. Well, thankful to the Lord that I had the privilege of writing the book. Well, take us kind of on your spiritual journey some. Like, where did this all start for you? I know you were in Harvard. Yes. As an undergraduate, I went to college thinking I would major in economics and then go on to law school and then go into politics. Wow. But uh, I got very involved with the, what was called the Collegiate Club at that time at Park Street Church in Boston. 
And on campus at Harvard, there was something called the Harvard Radcliffe Christian Fellowship. Radcliffe was a women's college connected to Harvard. And um, I got more involved in that, became president of the group on campus. Oh, wow. And uh, was in a way, in a little way, acting as a pastor to other students. Hmm. And um, my uh, love for studying the Bible and teaching the Bible just grew. And so after a couple of years of college, I had almost finished the requirements for the economics major. <laughs> so I finished those up, but then uh, started thinking about going to seminary and took a couple of years of Hebrew and a year of wow. Greek. Um, still, I was an undergraduate economics major with two, two years of Hebrew. <laughs> <laughs> As most undergraduates with economics yeah. do, right? <laughs> then uh, the Lord led me to a seminary, and I graduated from Westminster Seminary in Philadelphia in 73. Oh, wow. And um, while I was there, a friend of mine, Jim Hurley, had gone to Cambridge, England, to the University of Cambridge for a PhD program in New Testament. He came back to Westminster Seminary and said, Wayne, you would really enjoy this doctoral work. So I went for another three years wow. to Cambridge, England, and did a PhD in New Testament there. Wow. Uh, so then uh, I still was thinking I'd be a pastor, but um, a teaching job opened up at Bethel College in St. Paul, and I took it, started teaching systematic theology to undergraduates, and um, couldn't find a good textbook that was understandable and applied to life and really put an emphasis on scripture. And so I started to write this book, Systematic Theology, and 10 years later, there it was. Oh, my gosh. Oh, so it took you 10 years to write the book. Yes, I was doing a few other things. Yes. Um, <laughs> yes, yes, I understand. <laughs> uh, my, oh, is... my wife had the idea that we needed a Christian school in our area. Oh. So um, she had the idea and I did the work. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, is, I, was, I was the first chairman of the board and that took hundreds of hours. But the school yeah. is up and going today, so... Christian Heritage Academy in Northfield, Illinois. Wow. So that was a blessing. And uh, there were some other teaching responsibilities and things, but in 10 years overall, yes. Did you think of yourself as entrepreneurial when you were doing this? Like you weren't no. fitting a mold of a pastor, but you were, you were building things. And that's so different sometimes than a lot of traditional ministry. I don't think I was aware of that, Sean. I, I had in mind that, um, uh, the book I was using as a textbook is Lewis Burkhoff's Systematic Theology, published in 1936, I believe. Wow. And uh, it was very uh, scholarly and doctrinally sound, believed in the total authority of Scripture, but it was very hard to understand because he thought students understood French, German, <laughs> Hebrew, Latin, oh and uh, sometimes uh, a little <laughs> Dutch. <laughs> and it was hard for students to, uh, and then a lot of the English words he used were not in people's ordinary vocabulary. So I had to bring a glossary of terms so people could read that. Then the, he, he'd make a doctrinal point and he would live, give a whole string of Bible verses, but who knows what Leviticus 2, 7 means, says, yeah. if you don't look it up. Yeah. And um, nobody, so I, I wanted to have a book that would quote the Bible, the actual text of the verse. So that God's words that have power to change people's hearts would convince people and minister to people and help them grow in their Christian life. Um, so I wanted to bring the actual text of scripture in. 
when I wow. turned the manuscript into the publisher, the publisher came back to me and said, this is awfully long. I don't know if we can fit it in one volume. <laughs> wow. Can you take out some of the scripture verses? And I said, no, I, I um, don't want to take out some of those scripture verses. Just put references because God's word has power that other words don't have. Oh, so good. And so, and then I said to him, there's another publisher that is interested in this book if you don't want it. And they said, okay, we'll put it, to, we'll keep it the way it is. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. That's they great. are so happy they kept it, aren't they? <laughs> yes, I think they are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, tell us this too, uh, Dr. Grunov. It's There's something about um, how you focused on this book and then you also focused on the workplace, glorying, glorifying God in your workplace. And not all the theologians that you've rubbed shoulders with would have written a book about marketplace people or about the average person in their career. What inspired you to write that? Um, there was a conference on business as ministry of business as mission mm. that was held, where was it? I think at Regent University in Virginia Beach. I can remember exactly. The vice president of a book publishing company was in the audience, and I was asked to speak on business as mission. Mm -hmm. And I thought, how does being in business fit in with God's purpose for our lives? Then I realized that the uh, I have a close relative who's an, uh, a web designer for uh, internet websites, and he said to me, I'm not sure that um, my life is meaningful to people. I said, just think of all the people you're helping by those websites that you design. Yeah. And Jesus said, we should love our neighbors ourselves, let our light so shine before others that they may see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. It seems to me designing websites, letting our light shine before others and seeing uh, letting our, others see our good works. And it is part of loving our neighbors ourselves that we do a good job with the product that we're selling. And so the grocery store employee or manager is doing good for people all day long. Helping yes, them find yeah. food that they can be nourished by and enjoy. And all the business is that way, except for immoral goods like pornography and illicit drugs and sure. things. But um, in general, the marketplace is a place of people doing good for one another and getting paid for it. I, I love the title Business for the Glory of God, because one of the things that we've seen, you know, over the decades is that sometimes... The, the, the difference between um, the sacred versus the secular, in other words, the pulpit is, is the sacred and uh, we in the marketplace or in business are, are the secular and there's somehow there's a dividing line, but your title right. of your book um, uh, demystifies that and debunks that and says, hey, listen, you know, all of us and 99% of us are not working in the vocational ministry are working for the glory of God. Yes, and, and Jesus himself, um, let's say that as a young boy growing up in Palestine, by about age 15, he would have been working in his father's business. Right, yeah. And he didn't begin his ministry until he was about 30. So he was like 15 years in the business world and wow. three years of ministry. Yeah. He was doing good for others while he was in the business world. It's so funny to me because people always want to talk about Jesus' three years of ministry, but I tend to think about, could you imagine if Jesus, Jesus being a carpenter or a stoneman? <laughs> came to your house to work on your job. Could you imagine what would have happened to the environment on the job? <laughs> yeah, so true. Well, I think of this book, it was pretty progressive when you wrote it in the sense that a lot of traditional mainline churches still had that division in their hearts, but you wrote a book that helped to define uh, just that the sacredness on a career and the sacredness on the marketplace. And I think it really helped people. What was your feedback? Is Did it feel revolutionary to you or did it feel just normal to you? Because people look at it still, if you're a Presbyterian or Episcopalian, it still can be a revolutionary idea that your career is sacred. 
The most common comment I hear is, I wish I had read this book 10 or 15 years ago. That's awesome. People in the business world who need to be assured that if they're doing what God has called them to do and what they've been gifted at, um, then they are pleasing God and they're serving other people as well. Yeah. Well, my own father, he told me once that almost all of his boyhood friends growing up in Minneapolis went into the ministry, but he just didn't feel it was right for him. And he ended up being part owner of a creamery in a small mm. town called Jim Falls, Wisconsin, 286 people. Wow. And uh, they made butter and um, later cheese products for, uh, for sale in the marketplace. Um, but that was what God called him to do, and that was what he did. Mm. And it, it paid for my education as well. Wow. So That's okay. when you see generationally how God gets his inheritance is your yeah. father, like he's, he gets to inherit from how he sowed into your life and how he created a life for you. And then you can inherit from your children, which leads me to talk about your marriage. So in the midst of all this, being one of the most successful Christian writers of, of modern times, talk about your marriage. I know that, you know, you've been married for 54 years. 53. From 53 years. 53, yeah. That's amazing. But talk yeah. about the early part of your marriage when you were when you were first discovering your call of God and writing these books and teaching students. Right. Well, um, I I've loved Margaret, and there's been a special place in my heart for her ever since I met her when she was 12 and I was 13. Wow! wow. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> we didn't start dating until we were close to ninth or tenth grade. And then it was off and on. She had a lot of boyfriends, but but, uh, several years into our marriage, some friends suggested that they paid our way to go to a weekend marriage conference called Marriage Encounter. I don't know if it still is around today or not. Um, But um, the exercises were answering questions about what you felt about your marriage. And you, you write in a notebook and then switch notebooks with your with your spouse. And Margaret was able to express, uh, she oftentimes didn't feel that I listened to her perspective or her preferences or her desires. And if she had an idea, I had seven answers why it wasn't right. Mm. And um, that led to a time of repentance for me and asking forgiveness and reorienting our marriage. Mm. Um, 1 Peter 3, 7 says, husbands live with your wives according to knowledge or considerately. I think that means understanding. I think Margaret would tell you, if she would come in the room here, um, she would tell you that I'm a much more thoughtful husband than I was when we first got married. Yeah. God works in our life that way. It, it's it's amazing the investment that we make in our marriages. Uh it, it it produces assets. And the, the asset that you're talking about of listening, I mean, I've struggled with that too, because I think that I have seven answers for every every question also. And and my wife has told me over and over again, I'm I'm just looking to be with you and process with you and not have you fix. Yeah. And so I'm I feel better about myself listening, listening to you and your story. Uh, as, as I move through my marriage also. A lot of it is, uh, Bob, that um, we need to appreciate that people can have different preferences and choices. I uh, I don't like butterscotch. I like chocolate on my ice cream. <laughs> Margaret likes butterscotch. 
Well, so what? Mm-hmm. I shouldn't try to say this chocolate is better. Mm-hmm. And the temperature we set the thermostat at in the house, she has a different preference than I do. And love one another means trying to adapt. And for me as a husband, it means setting it at the temperature that she's comfortable with. And if I have to put on a sweatshirt or something, then I go ahead and do that. Mm-hmm. Just valuing her preferences as well as mine. Oh. And there's hundreds so, of examples yeah, so of that, that every, just, every year. The love is so simple, but we so complicated. Just yeah. as far as what you're saying, just so complicated. But Jesus was so simple in how he expressed love. I think when I read in, you know, love is patient, love is kind. I, I remember one time I just was meditating on that and thinking, I need to put God's name there. God is patient. God is kind. And I need to put my name there. Sean is patient. Mm-hmm. Not so much. Yeah. Sean is kind. And I still go back to that. I mean, you know, just yeah. am I, am I the virtues of love? I love what you're saying. Cause I do that in my marriage sometimes. Like, am I being love for real? Like, cause there's a standard yeah. of love that I love. Okay. I'm not going to preach to the choir. Cause you are amazing. You could do far better than I can tell. <laughs> talk to us about like, we have a marketplace audience. So a lot of our people are in careers. A lot of them are taking on projects or they're believing that their faith is transformative to the world around them, that Jesus inside of them equals a different result in the world around them than just doing a career on their own. They're looking at him not just as God is my CEO, but God is in me and dwelling inside of me, and it's going to change my opportunities. What would you say to that person, like as far as how to how to plant their feet more firmly in faith for those decisions? Well, the first thing that comes to mind, John, is um, setting aside some time every day, whether well, it's morning or evening or sometime during the day, uh, to be alone with the Word of God and with God in prayer. Uh, for me, it works in the morning well if I just read a portion of Scripture mm-hmm. and uh, I have a, just I have a notebook of items that I pray for, my family, friends, and church, and other things. But that time alone with God is so important to our Christian growth. And when there are times that I miss it because something was happening early in the morning or something, the day doesn't go as well. Wow. Things don't seem... To be right, um, I get a lot of red lights instead of green lights, <laughs> metaphorically as well as <laughs> literally sometimes. Uh, <laughs> I love the simplicity about what you're talking about. You're talking about loving God, loving yourself, loving one another, your wife and your friends. And in this world now has gotten so fast paced with, well, the advent of the internet and social media and how the, the quickness of the pace. And it seems like we're... We're, we're, we're trying to get faster when God's saying, you know, come back to the simplicity of, yeah. of, of my life. And, and how, how would you encourage our, our listeners and viewers about coming back to the simplicity of, of the gospel? Well, maybe I can tell a story about what happened with me where yeah, I neglected time with the Lord. Um, it was several years ago. I was... Uh, working as one of 12 members of the translation committee for translating the ESV English Standard Version Bible. (laughs) And we were in England working, and um, the days got very long. Um, Not only eight hours a day of intense translation work, looking at the Greek text or the Hebrew text of Scripture and trying to translate it into accurate English. Doing that with 11 other scholars who are godly men mature and wise i thought why do i need this extra time in the morning extra half hour praying and reading my bible after three or four days just i was uneasy i was being short with people i was hoping that people would praise me i was interrupting people in conversations where i shouldn't have 
and uh, general uneasiness and no peace. And uh, I neglected my time alone with the Lord. And I thought, I'm studying the Bible eight hours or more a day, plus <laughs> conversations in the evening with these other godly men. Why do I need to have Bible reading and prayer by myself? But it was no substitute. Wow. That's so uh, profound. I had to apologize to Margaret and then apologize to the other members of the committee the next day saying I've neglected my time with the Lord and I'm sorry, but the last three or four days I haven't been who God wants me to be. Mm. Wow. And that's so real. And if you experience that while your job was to translate the Bible, yeah. how much more people who already don't have a spiritually focused job in that context, right. if we don't have that place with God, I know I, I feel the same way. I feel like, if I um, don't spend time with God, my friends and family notice. <laughs> they yeah. can tell. They can very much tell. And I think that that's, we should be that way. We should be a different creature and creation when we're spending plugged in time and connected time with God. I love yeah. that. It was it was a spiritually wonderful experience to do that Bible translation work over three years. But it was also wow. very demanding because uh, we would go chapter by chapter, and if you had a suggestion on something in Matthew 18, but you had to go out and take a phone call or go to the restroom or something, you came back, Matthew 18 was already done. It's in the Bible. You missed. Wow. <laughs> so you, wow. And you needed two-thirds majority to reconsider something that's already been decided. Oh, so my gosh. You can't snooze. It was wow. uh, intense. Well, it's an amazing Bible. version. I love that version of the Bible. I, when I go online and I do studies, I always reference that. So I'm so Good. glad you worked on it. Yeah, it was a it was a joy. Well, before before we uh, totally get to the end, I wanted to ask you because you you faced some very real battles in your lifetime, and you're so vulnerable. You're so real, even right now in this interview. But one of the things that happened is you share that you uh, got diagnosed with Parkinson's. Yes. And how when that diagnosis came in in your life, I think it was back in 2015, I believe. Um, how did that affect you in your faith? And talk about that a little bit for our listeners. Yeah, um, I wrote my reaction to it in a prayer memo that I send out to a number of friends. Mm. And John Piper is one of those who gets it. And mm. he asked if I put it on his Desiring God website. So there is a, on the Desiring God website, uh, an article by me called, I have Parkinson's and I'm at peace. Wow. The wow. Lord gave me a deep sense of peace, and this this is his purpose for me and this part of my life. And um, I'm thankful that since 2015, that's six and a half years, it hasn't um, since December 2015. It's gotten somewhat worse, but um, it's not debilitating. It's just wow. uh, handwriting is difficult, uh, and typing is I'm not so accurate at typing. So things are a little slower, but I'm still able to function, and I'm thankful to the Lord for that. And oh, I'll, just, too. I'll just keep on teaching and writing and speaking as long as he gives me physical ability to do that. And when that, that no more, it's no more present in my life. Then I have to say, I fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. Yeah. I, hope I can say that with Paul. So, so what you're saying is in the midst of trials, again, the simplicity of the gospel is to uh, seek, seek Christ first. Yeah. Yeah. Such um, I'm the vine and you, you are the branches said Jesus. Mm. Whoever abides in me and I in him, that person brings forth much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing, John 15, 5. And wow. I seek each day to abide in Christ, to rest in him, to recognize that he's in front of me, behind me, above me, beneath me, to my right, to my left, and within, mm -hmm. and um, seek to live in fellowship with him through the day. Well, you're a, you're a wonderful example, and we so are grateful for everything you've written and spoken 
I know you've affected so many of us around the world. And some people don't even know it's you. They haven't heard you. They've just read your books or they've read one of the Bible versions or they've read systematic theology, but they haven't seen you as a person. A lot of times it happens, right, with people who are listening, but they're not actually looking. And so I love that we had you on today. And how can people, what's the best website for you to, for people to get in touch oh, with your materials? I have a website called WayneGrudem.com. Perfect. So I'm going to encourage all of our listeners, please go visit the website. And we want to thank you again, Dr. Grudem, for being on today. And uh, uh, we're so appreciative of you. And send our love to your wife and everybody who's watching right now. Stay tuned for our final thoughts with Sean and Bob. Do you want to be mentored in hearing God's voice? It's not hard, but it takes time, examples, practice, and conversations to really get in the place of being able to get revelation and also to know how to interpret and reply what God's showing you. I have started an online community through our platform, Translating God Mentoring, where you receive weekly videos, weekly live group mentoring, monthly special events, and all of our past e-courses on the gifts, marriage, and relevant topics to your spiritual journey. Come join me and all my platform contributors to learn how to walk out a thriving journey of hearing God. Welcome back. Oh my gosh, Sean, that was quite the interview. I was kind of starstruck a little bit. <laughs> how did you feel? Yeah. I, I did too. I felt the same way. And I love how simple his answers were in the sense of, you know, here he's in the last part of his life, the, the glory days, you know, and so to speak. And, and he's had such an impact. And he brought everything back to just simplicity of first love. And I just think that that's such a great example of somebody who's lived a full career of impact and one of the most known theologians in our generation. And he was that love based. It was so cool. Yeah, the, the the humility that he had when he was when he was talking about working on the, I mean, I still can't get over the translating the ESV Bible yeah. to English, and he he was talking about working with twelve other theologians and and how how that must the interplay of how that must have worked these intellects these academics working yeah. together to get the to, to get the right translation and he he was so humble in the fact when when he said he he missed. Uh, his time, his alone time with the Lord, and he came back and repented to them because he wasn't the man I think he said that he should be. It just struck me as to how humble he is and how the, the word of God has impacted his life. Well, and I wanted to have him on, Bob. I remember when I reached out to him, I was like, I doubt he'll ever come on, but I'm just going to ask him because he's written into the genre of marketplace people, mm -hmm. but he comes from such a theological background of truth. And I just wanted to see his what he would say to our, our audience. And I'm not only pleased, but I think it's so profound. It's such a profound interview. I'm so glad it's in our catalog of interviews that he chose to lend his voice because as you guys know, you are listening and watching, like there's something so beautiful when grandpa comes in and, you know, shares with us about his longevity and his secrets okay. and his heart and the things that are the most valuable to him. And we really got that out of this interview. Uh, you and I talk about the marketplace a lot, but just the title of his book, Business for the Glory of God, it, just the title ministered to me because of how, how many conversations we've had with people over the years who have felt less than, but yeah. not in the vocational ministry. And, and just the title of his book frees you in thinking that whether you're in the marketplace, whether you're working, whether you're entry level or in the C-suite, so they have your own business, it doesn't matter. You're yeah. doing it for the glory of God. And remember when that book was written, it was written in a drought towards the marketplace people. There wasn't a lot of books that were national bestsellers in America about this subject for years before or a couple of years after. So 
he wrote this book as a theologian and really took special attention to this subject that I think God led him on to that we're now bearing the fruit of because now everybody, I think everyone we talk to knows they're doing it for God, but it took a while for the church to turn that corner. Thank you so much for being a part of our Exploring the Marketplace family. We so enjoyed these conversations and we love interacting with you. So please visit us at bowlsministries.com where you can email us or interact with us or our social media handles. It's at Bob Hassan or at Sean Bowles on most of the socials. So come visit us there and join the conversation that we have on our own pages. Love you guys and talk to you next time. See you next time. Thanks for listening to the Exploring the Marketplace podcast, part of the Exploring Podcast series. If you enjoyed today's episode, please consider subscribing or even rating and reviewing so that more people can connect to us. Also, we'd love to be part of your spiritual journey, and we have amazing resources at our website, www.bowlsministries.com, B-O-L-Z ministries.com, including other free media, TV shows, books, and even an ongoing mentoring online platform. See you there.